The song that we've just sung, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, has a very long history. In more recent years, an American hymn writer, William Jensen Reynolds, composed an arrangement for that song which was included in the Billy Graham evangelistic songbook, which was used for his meetings and spread elsewhere. Countless thousands, perhaps millions of people, have been impacted by that same decision through hearing that song. And I wonder if you know of the prior history of the song. It goes back to the mid-1800s and is based on the last words of an Indian believer, Nokseng, a Garo man of the Meghalaya tribe in what was then Assam, northern India. Through the influences of an American Baptist missionary, he came to Christ along with his family. And as is often the case when people are the first to make a commitment to Christ in a culture which is based on other religious beliefs and tribal identity. The family experienced a lot of persecution, which came to the head, came to the head of the, of the, of the village, the chief. And um, he said, you're going to have to renounce Christ or we will kill you. And so started off, by making that threat, and Noxeng said, I have decided to follow Jesus. His two children were brought and were killed before his eyes. And they said, your wife is next. And he said, though no one join me, still I will follow. His wife was killed and he himself was executed with the words on his lips, the world behind me, the cross before me. This witness is said to have led to the conversion not only of the chief of that tribe but others in the village. And there was at that time um, a new convert to Christianity from a Sikh background who later became known as Sadhu Sunda Singh. His life was dedicated to be as close to a real disciple, to be as close to Jesus as possible. And he heard those words and turned it into a hymn with an original Indian tune. And for me, it establishes what it means to be a radical disciple of Jesus. This morning, I'm giving you the second message in my series on radical followers of Christ. The first message was radical followers of Christ have had a radical encounter with the love of God. It all begins with experiencing the love of God in Christ, the love that Jesus had for you when he gave his life for you on the cross despising the shame, shunning the glory, turning his back on the comforts of heaven. He became the substitute sacrifice for our sins. 
which was the display, the lavish display of the love of God. And the Bible says it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son into the world. And the apostle Paul says, your life as a believer must be rooted and grounded in that love. And everything that follows flows out of this divine encounter with Christ and his love. Today, I want to show how we build on that foundation of love and enter into a radical relationship with Christ. The word radical today is unfortunately often associated with religious extremism, often violent extremism. But radical Christianity is about love, not violence. A radical in any field is someone who thoroughly and consistently applies the first principles, the basic principles, and is consistent in working through those principles and all the implications, even to the point of bringing radical change to society. Therefore, a radical Christian is someone whose life is thoroughly consistent with the teaching of Jesus. And in that way, radicals make a difference and can bring root and branch change, not only in their lives and others around them, but as I said, right up to the changing of society. I have two verses I'm basing my message on today, Matthew 16, verse 24, and a passage from Luke. And in my notes, I've kept the red, because in my Bible program where I can cut and paste texts, it keeps the words of Jesus in red. Most Bibles today have the words of Jesus in red, but I've kept the red. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Then Luke 14, verse 33. Jesus has given a few parables and this is his conclusion. Verse 43. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You will see how I present this definition of radical followers of Christ or disciples of Jesus. See where it comes from when I say a disciple is someone who forsakes all not some, but all, not a little bit, but everything, forsaking everything to pursue Christ and Christ alone. Now, that's, that's radical. So, of course, being rooted and grounded in love is more than just having a theoretical knowledge that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten sons that whoever believeth, blah, 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 blah. That text is foundational and it's, it's amazing, but we've got to enter into this. We've got to comprehend it. So we must understand God's love and, and that means engaging with it. It means meditating on it, ruminating on it, looking at the scriptures and thinking how amazing it is that God should love not just the world, but me. And then knowing that love is more than simply understanding some of the 
mechanisms, who Jesus is, what he came to do, his death on the cross, very important, but entering into the experience of it. And for this, we need the Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul says, Romans 5, verse 5, hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this is a radical experience of the love of God and for it not just to be kept in the area of the subjective or in the area of the emotions or in the area of the intellect alone, but it becomes so foundational to us that we decide that we are going to define ourselves by the love of God and we're going to live out the love of God consistently in our radical discipleship. So it begins by being rooted and grounded in love, but it also builds on that foundation, that foundation of love. It builds a deep, intimate and consistent relationship with Christ through which the whole of your life changes, not instantly, of course, but gradually and progressively and increasingly changes you to become a radical follower of Christ. I'm holding a book here called True Discipleship by a man called William MacDonald. And um, I remember when I was first a believer, a very, very young believer, I was 18 years of age, baptized in this church in 1972. So don't work it out, I'm 65. I don't know, so just <laughs> save you the calculation. Um, but that's 65 years young. In those days, the bookshop, which is now beautifully housed downstairs, and we have a, a, a stand in the front of the church in the foyer there, used to be a little glass section round about in that part of the church building. And I always, after every service, made my way to the bookshop. And I'd browse through the books. And I came across this little yellow booklet. It doesn't look at all like this finely produced additional version with with other things in the back. This is a simple, quite crudely presented booklet called True Discipleship. And uh, my pastor, the then senior pastor, Eldon Corsi, popped into the bookshop and saw me browsing through this book. He took it out of my hand in a way that I thought I'd done something wrong but he went straight to Dorothy Rammel and paid for the book and gave it to me. I read that book. It has become, in many ways, the, the book that has influenced me the most. And I've read it repeatedly over the years and got this new edition. We had a few copies in. They're all sold out. The book's out of print. You can get it on Amazon. Might have a few copies later on next week, to Discipleship by William MacDonald. And the chapter on forsaking all is worth the price of the whole book. And I, I read this again recently. I thought, you know, I, I hadn't realized how influenced I'd been because my whole life has been in pursuit of radical discipleship. My whole life has been in pursuit of how we can 
organise the church and structure the church and so organise how we live together as a community that we can make disciples, mature disciples, mobilise disciples and multiply disciples. And our cell vision structure is all about that. Some statements came out here and I thought, I, I, I say that. And I realised now where I got it from. You know how books can influence you? All the way with Jesus is the only way with Jesus. If Jesus is worth anything, then he's worth everything. You just missed two good places to say amen. So amen and amen. And uh, really today, what is needed more than anything else is a revisitation, an understanding what it means to be a disciple. When I say radical disciple, that means it's just living the life that Jesus called us to live. But by radical, I mean thoroughgoing. And really, I'm sure that's the desire of everybody here that knows and loves Jesus, is to say, you know, I really want to follow him. And, and what holds us back many, many times is the sense of our own weakness and our failure. Sometimes, I think often, we are overly influenced by our spiritual environment, which is all about compromise, take the cross out, don't talk to people about this, preach about faith and healing and prosperity or nice feelings or inner healing, outer healing or whatever it is. Uh, um, and uh, some of those topics are important, but it really comes back to this. Are you a true disciple of Jesus? And if so, how do you build your life of discipleship? Colossians 2 Verses 6 and 7 is exactly saying this. Uh, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Paul says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Did you get that? So in other words, becoming a Christian is as simple as saying yes to Jesus. I put my faith and trust in him. I turn from my past life and I embrace the new life in Christ but that decision, which is the decision that shows that you are no longer uh, under the judgment of God, but you have been passed from death to life and you have been saved and because he has saved you and you haven't saved yourself and because he never changes, he's not going to change his mind about you. You are saved forever and you are secure forever. Now, that's the foundation, but it may be a foundation big enough to build a huge skyscraper such that seem to be going up in the city of London almost every week. And yet so many Christians build a tiny shack upon that incredible foundation rather than saying, I am going to give everything to Jesus and I'm going to build a life that glorifies him because I know though I lose everything, in the end, I will gain everything. He is no fool. Jim Elliot, the martyr missionary, said, who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How inspirational. And so Paul says, therefore, as you've received, that's the foundation, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, that's the life of discipleship, and he describes it in verse 7 as being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanks 
giving. This means growing in your understanding and your experience of the love of Christ and building on it to the point where you become totally captivated by his love and you begin to pursue him. Take up your cross and follow me. Follow, it sounds a bit weak in the English, but what it really means in the original Greek is to pursue him. Pursue him as the one you most desire. First the desire, then the pursuit. You cannot pursue unless you desire. If you do not desire, you will not pursue him. You will say you're pursuing him, but actually pursue what you most truly desire in your life. That's what Jesus meant when he said, whoever desires to come after me, begins with desire. And the word for desire here is not a half-hearted desire. Well, I'm doing this because I have to do it. No, I'm doing this because I want to do it. No, I really want to do it. No, I really, really, really want to do this. Why? Because I've seen something in him. In him is life. I see something in him that is so captivating, so appealing, that it becomes now my strong desire and only true passion of my life to pursue him in a relationship in which he is my master and I am his disciple. God's love can enrapture you. I was so fascinated by this word, enrapture. I discovered in ancient times If somebody had been enraptured, it was journalistic terminology for being kidnapped. They'd been enraptured, kidnapped. I like it. Let God's love kidnap you today. Let God's love captivate you today. Let God's love enthrall you so you are transported out of yourself into another realm altogether, the realm of faith, the realm of the kingdom of heaven, the realm of true satisfaction and joy and fulfillment that only God can give. We've built a word cloud around this and I put up there all the words that I think apply to this amazing relationship we have with Jesus. It's exciting, it's interesting, it's absorbing, it's action-packed, it's adventurous, it's arresting. Yes, it is better than sex. Blows your mind, knocks your socks off, breathtaking, compulsive, compelling, dazzling, (gasps) electrifying, fascinating, intoxicating, intriguing, high voltage, pulsating, riveting, rousing, spectacular, thrilling, satisfying. Why? Because he gives us life. When we see him as he is, we recognize him. I know you. You are the one that I've been seeking all my life. You offer to me what I've been most longing for, that is relationship, genuine, satisfying relationship. This is the reason for which I've been born. This is why I've been made to have a relationship with you. And every other relationship is subordinate to that relationship. And when you see him, everything else that you pursued pales into insignificance. Everything else apart from him, becomes the idol that you need to forsake. And you begin a journey, which means step by step, day by day, more of him and less of me. You begin to lose yourself. 
to find yourself. You begin to die to gain your life. It's counterintuitive, but it's the true nature of the kingdom. Lose yourself and you will find yourself. So you begin to build and you do so with consistency. Here's, here's the thing. That's the issue. We all know moments of true dedication and devotion. And in that moment, there isn't anything we'd withhold from God until we leave the building, go to the car park and get home. And then we want it all back. How do we navigate this journey? Well, it means beginning well, going on and ending well. Very simple. How do you begin well? As Jesus said, his first words in his public preaching ministry in Galilee, Mark 1, 14 to 15, says, now after John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It's here. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance means turning from. Faith means turning to. You see, you turn to by turning from and by continuing to pursue him. That's why it's easy to become a Christian. You make that decision. You see him for who he is and you say, I, I, I want him. When you say you want him, you let go of that stuff. The trouble is, little later on, we turn back and we pick up someone and say, you, you can come with me. And Jesus says, no, no, you, I call you to forsake all to follow me. And this is that second verse I read, Luke 14, 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Sadhu Sunda Singh mentioned him earlier. He was the man that picked up the words of that song and um, made it into a good Indian song with an Indian tune. Now, he was from a Sikh background, born 1889, died 1929. The age of 14, he's, his mother died. They, they were a very high caste, a high class Sikh family. His mother died. He was angry with God every God, especially the Christian God. He took a New Testament, got his school friends together and burnt in the playground the New Testament. I love it when people hate Jesus. They're so close to coming to him. One night, he got so desperate in his search that he said, I can't go on. It's terrible without my mother. I don't want to live. So unless God, the true God, really reveals himself to me tonight on the night train when I know what time it's coming, I'm going to go down to the railway tracks, lay down on it, I'm going to end my life. The train was not far off when finally, after agonizing the whole of the evening, Jesus came. Jesus stepped into his room. Jesus revealed himself to him. So this boy never went to the track. Never died in that way, but decided the whole of his life would be lived for Jesus. Coming from that indigenous background, he was offended at many of the missionary churches that seemed to get preachers and pastors and even church members to dress in Western clothes, to sing 
Western songs. And he said, no, this is not right. I, I want to reach my people. So he refused ordination in the Anglican church to dress in the ordained robes of the Anglican church, which are actually based on Roman dress, but that's a whole other matter. And he took on the clothing of an Indian holy man called a sadhu. He was dressed in the sadhu robe, uh, saffron robe, but it was the yellow saffron, kept his Sikh turban, gave away all his possessions and said, I'm not worthy to follow in the steps of my Lord, but like him, I want no home, no possessions. Like him, I will belong to the road, sharing the suffering of my people, eating with those who give me shelter and telling all men of the love of God. He was cruelly persecuted, often misunderstood, stoned, left to dead, the story of him uh, being thrown into a pit, which was the pit of execution for unwanted troublemakers in the village. And he was two days in the pit with putrefying, decomposing bodies. And then he heard the top of the well, the top of the pit, somebody turn a key and open the lid and he climbed out. There was only one key and the key was held on a chain around the waist of the chief and the chief brought everybody in and says, who has stolen the key to let, who is the traitor of his people? And he was highly embarrassed to discover the key still hanging on the chain. Probably an angel of the Lord had rescued the sadhu. He went everywhere by foot, known as the apostle of the bleeding feet. I am a great apostle of the Lord. Let's look at your feet. Do they bleed? He was everywhere telling people about Jesus, he went into remote areas. His passion was to get into the closed country of Tibet. He cl uh, climbed through the mountain passes of the Himalayas to present the gospel there. In fact, his last known journey was when he was still young, but prematurely old and sick, made his way on his own. One final trek across the mountain pass and was never seen again. He renounced all possessions, carried with him no food, no money, just the threadbare clothes on his back, no protection against the freezing mountain weather, and little pocket New Testament. He was many ways controversial because he kept the outward appearance of Hinduism in terms of his robe, but he did that to identify with his people. He had mystical experiences, so much so that the testimonies of his miracles, we don't know what was a vision and what actually happened. Not palatable to rational Western Christianity. But one thing we know about him, he was, in the testimony of, of many, 
the man most like Jesus they ever met. Even the children. Staying in a missionary home one evening, Sadhu was ascetic, rigorous in his self-denial, but a lover of life, very generous, happy, engaging. And after an evening with the family, it was time for children's bedtime. The kids said, please, mummy, can Jesus put us to bed? And this is what he said. His whole life shaped around the cross. One of his great and bitter disappointments was that he lived beyond the age of 33. That I can't even be like Jesus in his death. Why am I still alive? Didn't, die, didn't live very much longer after that. But he said this, when we have left this life, we shall not have a second chance of bearing the cross for Christ. Well, we thank God for testimonies like that. His favorite text, forsaking all to follow Christ. Only the beauty of Jesus revealed by the Spirit can do that. Why do you follow Jesus? Well, the first century Jewish community were looking for a Messiah that would free them from the Romans, not from their sins. Sad to say, I think we in the 21st century want a Messiah to give us the good life, not necessarily the God life. Perhaps with this testimony booklet in mind, certainly the preaching of Eldon Corsi, as a very new believer, still a student at the Royal Ballet School, you need to know how much dance meant to me. It was my life. I ran away from home, got away from home at the age of 16 to come and be trained at the Royal Ballet School. I presented myself and said in not so many words, I'm Colin Dye and you will make of me a star. <laughs> they took me in nevertheless and said, you will become at the very least a principal in this company. But when I met Jesus, none of that meant anything. Kind of, dance for me was my reason for living when I found Christ, the true reason for living. All that stuff was irrelevant. I spend a lot of my time convincing people in media, in the arts and so on, not to pull out, but to stay in and be a witness for Christ. But God definitely called me out. I, when I, when I, I went so convinced that I was to follow Jesus, literally, immediately and physically, I went into the director's office with a black leather bound Thompson's chain reference only in the authorized version. It was so big, it was heavier than any ballerina I had lifted. <laughs> and I said, I showed him here, look, the disciples left everything to follow Jesus, so I'm out of here, goodbye. He was very wise. He got in touch with the bishop who tried to rescue me from evangelical salvation. It's another story. But my legal guardians in the country were Christians, an elderly couple who said, what you're doing is immature, premature, and you ought not to do it. You've forgotten about God's timing. I didn't believe a word of it 
But I read in the scripture, youngers, submit yourself to your elders. That was it. That's what a disciple is like. Reads it, okay, I obey. Didn't argue. They're wrong, but I will obey. I found out later they were right. I spent three years as a new disciple, traveling, dancing, witnessing, and the moment came when it was the right time. And it was as easy as anything to turn my back on a career that I had dreamed about. Jesus says, take up your cross, which means dying daily. He, he doesn't talk about self-denial. That's a watered-down version. It's stronger than that. It is the denial, denial of the self. What self? The person who you think you are, the person that you feel you should be. But here I say, I want to rescue you from yourself. I don't want you to be the person that you think you should be. I want you to be the person who I made you to be and who you really are because I have recreated you in Christ. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, dying for Jesus, dying daily. Now, for Sarasunda Singh and others and many others, in fact, many of the people that I minister to, in secret, their lives are so at risk that if anybody could locate them, they would not last the week because they're under the sentence of apostasy as they're converts from Islam. High level. And the first discipleship lesson amongst these people is how to die for Jesus. That's the first lesson because that's what they need the most. Now, let me just, because at the moment we talk, talk like this, people just look for the nearest exit. This doesn't apply to me. I couldn't possibly be like that. What is he on about? Let me tell you this. First of all, if you were ever in that position, believe me, Jesus would give you the grace. Don't have the grace now. You don't need it. Jesus will give you the grace. Sarasundar Singh said, it is easier to die for Jesus than to live for him every day. I don't know if that's encouraging or not. <laughs> but really, the, the point is this, is that we are going to die anyway, either die daily or perhaps some of us will die for the gospel. And I say that in all seriousness because we have to wake up here in Britain and in the West to increasing levels of persecution. I don't wish it upon us. I don't necessarily predict it prophetically, but we must be prepared to follow Christ no matter what the cost. Only that kind of discipleship can bring our nation to Christ. Jesus chose to take up our pain. He refused the comforts of heaven to, to the point of enduring the shame of the cross that we should have our shame removed. Help us, Lord, to choose the kingdom over comfort, to grieve with those that grieve, to suffer with those who suffer, and to put to death and deny that inner rebel that still tries to get us 
to live our own way rather than Christ's way. We say no to the flesh. You cannot have your way. Christ is alive in me. So becoming a radical follower of Jesus means to be so close to him in intimate, tenacious, constant contact with him that his life actually becomes your life. And the only way to live this life is to die to your own. Many women of the world think that they are living and they try to live harder and harder with more joy and satisfaction because they know they are living to die. But we are dying to live.